Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. time of the year, there are a few guidelines all ghosts and goblins should follow. Always stay on sidewalks. Never go to a stranger's house. And never go out alone. Turn to page 394. I want you to swear to me you won't go looking for Black. Why would I go looking for someone who wants to kill me? Welcome to episode three of 31 for 31, our magical playlist of Halloween movies for the munch of month <laughs> for the munch of October. Yum yum yum. Our the whole munch. Our magical playlist of Halloween movies for all 31 days of the month of October. I say magical because we're coming to you today with a third movie in our series and the third movie in its own series, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Curveball. Didn't see it Look coming. Out. Do, Look out. Do, 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 Not for kids. Do, do, do. Yeah, watch out. Watch out. Do, 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 do. I don't want any rights concerns there, Chris. Watch out. But <laughs> No, I sang it totally wrong, so it's fine. Yeah, off-key means legal safe we got a uh, a good one coming to you today we we very much enjoyed watching this as all of these are very rewatchable films that's basically the entire basis of the revenue model for abc family now freeform anyway so we know that these are rewatchable films but like we said we last episode we had a grim tale for you wink 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 involving werewolves ghosty goblies you know we dementors Boggarts, other big pumpkins. So, I mean, hey, you know, we don't have to make too much of an argument, but this is definitely in a series that is generally a, a spooky and gothic set series of witches and wizards. I would argue the most Halloween-y, definitely singular in terms of its spookiness factor and how much it plays into kind of the grim gothic ghost story, 19th century, Wuthering Heightsy kind of vibes that you would be seeing in something like the original Hill House or something like that. So definitely a bit of a departure from the Voldemort series. And it takes a little bit of a walk away from the standard progression of things um, where each movie in the Harry Potter series, I feel like you're just begging to get to the next one to figure out what's going to happen next to Harry so that he can vanquish this next iteration of Voldemort or whatever else. And I think this one has a fun little sideways plot that has some nice back to the future elements and, and other spooky things that makes it uh, a good movie that you don't have to watch in sequence. Otherwise, a lot of these other ones in the Harry Potter series, you have to dive in and start at the beginning, go all the way through this one. I feel like you can just go ahead and watch after you watch the guest and be perfectly uh, satiated here. So. When Cody, you brought this up as an option for this list. And I think I said, go fuck yourself. Like, what, what are we doing here? This is crazy. But it's got a serial killer. It's got dementors. There's a haunted house. Alleged. There's death omens. It's got a fucking werewolf. Like, this is totally a Halloween movie. And it's interesting that for some reason, the whole series has become a Christmas movie. Like they, they're just constantly on at Christmas. Yeah, I think it's because there's like the one scene in the first movie, which is like deliberately set at Christmas, and it's like the 
happy Christmas, Ron. Happy Christmas, Harry, that people just like cling to. Yeah. And a lot of subsequent ones just have seasons changing to be snow. So, you know, you're about <laughs> yeah. halfway through the movie. So you can and, the uh, not to say that any of that's weird. And I, I get it that there is like, uh, you know, they're warm and fuzzy movies for the most part. And this movie is for me, this is like my Empire Strikes Back of the Harry Potter movies. I think it is by far the best one. And it's darker. It's just better made. Almost immediately, you realize that this is like a not to not to disparage our guy uh, Christopher Columbus, whose works include like Home Alone and, <laughs> and Genocide. But Alfonso Cuarón is just like a much better and, director. And, but he's executive producer. He is here. producer, and I mean we'll get into that later. Or but maybe just about, regular. I guess like <laughs> them choosing Alfonso Cuarón to direct this, but it was bold choice on Warner Brothers' part. I would say more than bold. <laughs> I would say that's. Looking back, it's kind Reckless. of insane. <laughs> Reckless. I mean, uh, yeah, with a hundred thirty like, million dollar budget, I would, I would call. Yeah, it Alfonso Cuarón. Now, sure, you give it to him, but but back then, after he'd only done E2 Mama Tom Vienna, and you're just saying, like, hey, hey, we got a movie with teenagers. <laughs> I think they looked back at like the Little Princess, and they were like, oh yeah, you know, kids going to school in uniform, some magic. Why not? Let's take a let's take a little bit of a uh, stab. Here. I, I would love to be a fly on the wall of that first meeting. I mean, he must have just blown them away, had tons of ideas. I mean, this is one of the most emotional in the series. So I could see him going in there and and really getting worked up about it, about the teenagers becoming more adult and all the drama of the transfigurations and different things that are going to happen to them and just... I don't know. Wowing don't, them and Chris is catching Columbus himself. Just, uh, like, am I doing? The, am I saying the yeah. spells correctly? Am I going to get? <laughs> he does the. Uh, he does the IT crowd scene. Just gets up at the table and walks out and jumps out the window. He's ready to run. Apparently, when he was offered <laughs> it, he did not want it. And his buddy Guillermo del Toro, who would have also been a fantastic pick for a Harry Potter movie. Well, yeah, would have loved to see one of his. His Chamber of Secrets would have been fun. That would have been. Yeah, he would have been great for that. But apparently, he did tell. Alfonso Cuaron to stop being arrogant. He's like, dude, just read the books and you'd be an idiot to not do this. But we've already gone into the or too far into the Harry Potter stuff. Hey, you know what? It's it's a it's got magnetism yeah. to it. You know, it's yeah. a, but we're not that podcast. Yeah. So I'm, I'm I'm married to a Potterhead, so I need to I need to check myself a little bit here before I say anything wrong, you know. Get put my put my Patronus in the wrong sentence here or something. Yeah. I mean after watching you know, the guest and then coming into this, I was pleasantly surprised with how lean this movie is. I really forgot how well it flows between the different seasons and scenes and that I really remembered every single scene in this movie. There there wasn't much bloat. There wasn't stuff that didn't matter to me. It's, you know, that, that camera just keeps you moving throughout. It's got a great momentum. And it's one of the ones I hadn't revisited recently. I, recent, I did watch the later ones, but this one... It just has a darkness over it that really fits well with Halloween and with these types of movies. You you have the idea of someone being stalked. You have monsters, but it it's not overly involved in each singular element. It, it kind of flows through it really nicely. And, and, I, and it was a great momentum shift for me to, or maybe continuance, not even really a shift, but going from the guest into this. Now I'm like, hey, let's keep going. I'm not, I'm not tired of what could be a Halloween movie. I'm, I'm just getting started. We just, you just hit me with three bangers. Let's go. Yeah, I feel like the the leanness is mainly due in the in the back half to what we'll get to around time travel. Just it being partnered with the Back to the Futures, just having a retread your steps style time travel sequence being done in a way that's still engaging and not just asking us to be way too invested in all of the little details. You know, it's done with a touch of care that makes it much more interesting the second time around that these events are happening than the first. So I think we'll get to that too, but that's something that keeps it without feeling like a bunch of bloat at the end, which, you know, if you're doing something twice, sometimes can make you eye roll. But but yeah, I feel like uh, we've got a great lead in there with a lot of appreciation already felt, but to talk about the thing itself, I definitely feel like this plot, if taken outside of Harry Potter context, would be automatically put into the horror category if you were going to take it out of the legion of, you know, all of the other series of this kid going to school. It would feel much more like a series of unfortunate events, macabre story that for 
a Tim Burton series than something that's just kind of a whimsical fight against evil, eventually anti-fascist series. So I feel like, <laughs> which is my take, but uh, I think everybody else is too. But I think that the, the, you know, the movie itself just being starting off with Harry, you know, in his third year at Hogwarts being kind of marked for death with a with a supposed serial killer coming after him in grim black dog form as it's seen uh, even at the beginning of the movie there's just a sense of foreboding and and as we you know get him actually into school you know we find out that his godfather allegedly betrayed his parents and is now coming to kill him after escaping from the wizard prison Azkaban. And we know that Harry is, uh, things aren't looking good for him. He's got a great, a great performance by Emma Thompson as Professor Trelawney as his uh, yeah. divination teacher. And he immediately sees the dark tea leaves, the, the grim dogs marking death for him. You know, so our whole setup here, even going to school, meeting with the dementor ghostly creatures that suck the joy out of you <laughs> as they search for Sirius Black as he's running amok the Scottish countryside. But let's talk about that scene. I mean, that scene is just awesome. Yeah, I will like to say that 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 scene is where you can definitely feel the shift into the full Halloween feel. It starts off almost in my mind like the month of October. You're getting a little whimsical. There's a bunch of slapstick moments. The ant gets blown up. You have the yeah. whole night. The first scene, scene is just a that's a typical Harry yeah. Potter setup. And, and, and it's funny and it, and it's light and it gets you into it. And then as you just literally watch the chill come over the window and their bottle of water that's when the weight of the movie starts coming in and it feels like a good opening to you know any kind of classic halloween movie you you there's usually teenagers joking around something's funny is happening and then that whole lightness is just shattered and you get that first meeting with the dementors is pretty amazing is this a is this Daniel Radcliffe in The Woman in Black or is this a little little HP? It's the British version of going to Camp Crystal Lake. They're all having fun yeah. and then yeah. oh shit, something's happening. Crystal Lake for private schoolers. But this is also just kind of ways that, you know, I consider it so much more of an adaptation than just a recreation of the books. The whole like frost thing, like that's just kind of like a cinematic convention that they added to the movie. I think the way that they actually condense the plot in so many ways, you know, obviously these books get longer and longer, but like this movie is basically like very tight and is a lot of the plot is reduced to its bare minimum to its benefit, I think, to allow for like these sort of like cinematic conventions. Like after the Dementor scene, we're constantly seeing these like interstitials which we don't really understand why they happen until later on but it's sort of they're a like marking the seasons and b sort of introducing us to or reminding us of the whomping willow which becomes a plot device later on although not really not really explained why it is like it is in the books that's the thing is that i think it's just sort of like we already know everyone read the book so we're just going to make a movie out of this and i think that's just like why this movie is just better. And that's the assumption we're going to make while you listen to this podcast. <laughs> so that We know that you know a lot of these plot details, so we're going to just talk about the Halloween mo moments that make it better. Yeah. So well, I think there's, you know, there's something to what you're saying, Jamie, about these filmic scenes and using the visual language that, you know, isn't specifically for Halloween movies, but it, it does come across very well, not always in a bigger budget film like this, but in a smaller budget film, you're using those types of filming techniques to show POV, to show dread, to convey something to the audience that you don't really have the budget to show. Sometimes you're hiding things, but you're moving the camera. And this kind of follows along in some of that with the added big budget of, you know, a, a horror film. There might be something shaking, but you can't show the whole train shaking. You don't have that budget. So you show the water shaking. You have the sound. You use the other elements and Kiran brings that with this moving camera and these elements, but then has enough budget to, you know, go through glass, to freeze everything, to go through windows and really amplify it. And I think it's amazing to see a toned down version of some of that storytelling that's visual, but with these budget flourishes that you get when you're directing a Harry Potter film. Yeah. Another thing that I think sets this one apart in terms of what I think Kiran injects into this as opposed to some of the directors that were attached to several of the projects is a lot of the films are slaves to the 
to the themes of prior films and you're it's meant to be viewed in sequence which is fine as a as a book series and even as a film series to expect and if by the time you're watching half-blood prince all of these thematic elements have been breadcrumbed throughout five previous movies and then their import is really just being reminded of those things that we're retreading with this one it really does feel condensed and tight and really just specific to this movie you know this sense of dread this sense of mystery this sense of discovery and this sense of eventually justice and these kind of things are are really just contained to this particular story about Sirius Black coming being a threat and then eventually being a friend that you have to save it you know obviously there are nods and winks to setting up plot devices that are going to come in handy later. You know, certain villains get away so they can help out later, but we don't see a lot of things, even in the music leitmotifs and things like that, just go back to, oh, let's talk about Harry seeing his parents in the mirror of Erised, and what does that mean? Because we watched that movie. It's really about, like, what does this mean in terms of there being a creepy setup where there is a killer on the loose, and then eventually there's an even crazier twist, and we have to fix this mystery now. Why I think that it is my favorite is just because I think of the rest of the movies as puzzle pieces in something that I just appreciate, you know, and, you know, the conclusion is obviously the conclusion or, you know, maybe Goblet of Fire is the most, you know, intense and, you know, entertaining in certain ways. But this one just feels like its own film that can be appreciated as its own film rather than a great constituent part of a larger, a larger thing. So I think that that's why, especially in a horror context, you need to keep things lean in terms of their themes, in terms of even the plot developments, because then you get bloated. You know, think of the film, the horror film series that we appreciate. Eventually, you just decay into camp, into lack of appreciation with Friday the 13th and other things, just because you can't tread the same ground for too long. You've got to keep it lean. So I like that this one is its own little horror movie just wedged right in the middle. Speaking for myself, I've already said this is my favorite Harry Potter movie. And I, like you said, Cody, I think it does stand alone more so than the other ones. Alfonso Cuaron has gone on to make like, you know, has won two Oscars for films that he's done. You know, he's made these award winning films. But this movie, like in my mind, like sits like right alongside those films. But my favorite thing about it is that the little things that are happening in the background that just make it feel lived in a scene early on where the waiter is like cleaning up and he just makes a a bottle disappear and it's all kind of just like matter of fact in the background or like there's no close-ups it's just happening which to me just kind of adds to this whole atmosphere and this vibe that like is really kind of taking you to a place that is far more interesting than the previous two movies and it's seen also by i think every movie after this just looks like this movie well, for because it, it was a violent takeover of how Flitwick looked. Flitwick looked yeah, yeah I mean, it, I kind of know. I, it it is kind of a fuck you to some fans. No one sure. else had as much of a fuck you in their veins. <laughs> it's kind of, it's yeah, it's almost, it is kind of a fuck you to people that care about that, where it's like, oh yeah, this guy is totally different, or now they wear jeans, but I think it's all for the better. Yeah. I mean, I think it works and it helps, like, you know, you're saying there's these small moments and things happening in the background. I remember in one of the scenes, there's, you know, someone is like mixing their drink and doing different things with their fingers that you're not paying attention with. And all of these little lived in elements and moments that are happening in the background make it much more believable that they're A, in this world. And I think in a weird way, the jeans and, and clothing kind of ties into that. They're not so distant from our world anymore. This isn't that magical of a place that then you start to believe in some of the fear a bit more and the spookiness of it and this this amount of tension that could be real there isn't this mystical way of them fixing everything they're not in this you know magical world in quotes they are yeah. you know, a magical world but yeah that it's, it's a bit more lived in and then to have a world that we start really believing in really helps to pay off with time travel and what they're going to lead into in that third act because it's just hard to pull off time travel if you're giving away too many elements of what the workings are. And it can just be easier believed if there are some elements in the rest of the world that you're just believing and, and accepting. And then you're not going, hey, 
if they traveled back here and saw themselves, now do they die or this or that? It just you just accept it because you started accepting these smaller things throughout the world, and it just helps. I think at that end moment. Yeah, carnal danger from a werewolf <laughs> feels a lot more believable when you're just in a hoodie, versus, you know, in ornate robes yeah, yeah. with flicking a wand out. But um, I think a lot of the scenes that stand out are the ones that just aren't in the books that they just added themselves, which I thought I found interesting. I don't know if uh, I don't know if Tom the barkeep as Igor was in the books. I can't remember, but yeah, you were saying the and first watch- Halloween moment was in the drain, but I think it's the humpback. I don't know. Well, I I just remembered too. There is that earlier moment that definitely feels like the start of a Halloween movie when he sees Sirius Black as the dog early on in the beginning, and watching it again was one of the first times I realized that maybe that's what keyed the Dementors into him, that somehow he has an imprint from Sirius Black or a scent or something from being in that proximity, and that's why the Dementors come actually come after him in the train, not just because he's Harry Potter, but because he's basically always involved in whatever anyone else needs to deal with, I think, including yeah. Dementors. <laughs> I think my, my take on that is just like it's... And one of the reasons that I think it handles pain better than the other movies in a much more realized thematic way is just like that the dementors are literally looking at a 13 year old child who's experienced the most pain and find him to be the most delicious i think is probably you know as explained kind of by remus too i think that that's just a tough like geez oh man this kid's hardly a teen he doesn't have a date yet and he's just getting his depression ripped out of him but yeah um i think that that definitely is a is a is a perfect record scratch moment of like wasn't there just a lady floating through the hall or for the through the sky and now i i I, what am i seeing is this gonna be this kind of movie now why is everything freezing over and then you have the dementors surrounding the castle and you see that shot multiple times and that's just it's really beautiful in comparison not only to the other movies in this series but just as a kind of horror thriller suspense scene those shots really stuck with me of of the ones that float back through their fingers a little bit and you see them surrounding this whole thing there's if a movie just opened with that and didn't tell me what this castle was and what the people were in there i'd be i'd be locked in i'd be like give me the popcorn let's go like i want to know what the fuck those things are in the sky and what they're about to do to well these if you think yeah and i like that they're the only you know example that comes readily to mind of like ghosts on purpose you know like they're pretty much dismissed immediately as like those are prison guards they're fine like don't worry about yeah. them they'll just be you know <laughs> hovering around for the near future lots of questions about why they use those things all together but the thing the thing that i think kind of where else are they gonna put yeah them, you i guess know? So there's <laughs> these vile creatures that they're like i guess we'll just make them prison guards which is just <laughs> well i mean if you've got Safer if you've got people way. who who are that magical who can change into animals or do different things at a certain point the only way i think to keep them in is just to have something oh that's pure awful like yeah and then if you have things that are pure awful just floating around you better just give them a hive of awful people to eat (laughs) just to just to keep them out of the mainland you know the dementors as these like kind of creepy characters also like play into this as a horror movie as you think about like what is the theme in a lot of horror movies it's like overcoming your fear and i think that is like a large theme of this film is that harry is running alongside him trying to figure out the serious black stuff is him essentially having to overcome this fear that these dementors bring out and that, you know, eventually at the end when he does the Patronus thing is when he's kind of overcoming it. So in that way, I think it kind of plays into this, this almost like horror trope of eventually you can no longer run away from your fear and you just have to face it. Yeah. I think every other movie ends with him kind of fuck youing to Voldemort in a different way. And that's his win. He just defeats Voldemort. And in this one, I'm sure there's a stretch argument to be made, but like the victory at the end of this movie to jump to the end before the middle is really about him overcoming that small fear and coming to terms with power in himself rather than, you know, sticking to this notion about his his family or, you know, his, his father or the other important father figures in his life. He's like, I can stick up for myself and I've conquered this fear moving on to the dramas that await me yeah and i think that this one does deal less with harry's individual triumphs over things like that like the ending with voldemort not having a big battle and this one really just feels like it's him slowly understanding what real pain and death are and what you just have to endure as an adult going through life especially in a horror or halloween movie but that 
it it's one of the times that you know in in other halloween films the character realizes like this is their enemy this is who they're facing and it and or sometimes they realize that they're their odds are insurmountable and that's how this one feels a little bit that there's so many elements like the the moon is literally one of his enemies in a scene like there's just uncontrollable elements that feel like a halloween movie like so much to me where you know i mean having a shot of the moon come out of clouds with a crazy score happening is just so exciting <laughs> yeah and especially the idea of there just being one dark night where all of these horrible things happen kind of behind the scenes and in the in the haze really just kind of lends itself to being like if i know it it doesn't because we've read the books but if all of the climax happened on halloween i could i could believe it for sure well this was the first time i ever realized that harry potter's parents were actually killed on halloween which yeah. when I, once I they make Gabe, once they make that into that. a movie you know the kill i feel like they, they show it enough times it's like the death of bruce and martha or of uh thomas yeah. and martha wayne that like i feel like we've seen them die enough times for an entire feature length at this point but you know if they make another movie it'll be a halloween movie for sure i don't think they even say that in the movies necessarily i, th- I know it's like a fact in the book it's almost like on the nose that it's like oh yeah harry's potter's harry potter's parents were murdered on halloween by Voldemort. <laughs> it's like too over yeah, the top i didn't realize it till i was just wikipediaing i don't think they've ever shown it in a movie trick or, or treats you know there you go and i mean on this one too it feels it feels like this movie is happening on the sidelines almost as to whatever else is going on at Hogwarts. This isn't a Harry Potter Hogwarts celebration movie where other people are involved. It's it's very tight between the kids and you know the the horrors that they deal with between a werewolf and a possible serial killer and other things are just like and one of their beloved friends pets possibly getting decapitated with this amazing scythe is just happening kind of on the sidelines. Yeah. There's no big celebration. Draco's only no- <laughs> in this movie to get punched twice, you know? Yeah. <laughs> once by a creature, once by, you know, Hermione. Yeah, this this feels like the, you know, the weird one in the anthology series where someone was like, hey, let's go to the left a little bit and, and see what weird things are over by that tree that, you know, punched a car earlier. Yeah, it's really just like a conversation between our three little friends and I would argue like the four plus one, you know, we'll say five like mythic animals of the movie that are important. I think that kind of lends it up to being just kind of a spooky horror Halloweeny kind of vibe, you know, just with the four animals represented by the the four messers of the Marauders map, you know, with Mooney being the inevitable werewolf that's teased throughout, with Padfoot being the, you know, the grim dog that Sirius ends up being with Wormtail being this snivelly little gross rat and you know eventually Prongs being this ghostly deer you know I find that those are a cool way to tie together like four specific animals plus Buckbeak let's throw him in there he's like he's a great he's a great kind of creepy animal that really just amp up this vibe of you know this isn't very much of a just down-to-earth human story all the time. You know, like the humans are very human, but then the forces that they're facing and reckoning with are these four like very other animalistic forces that are just kind of like out in the woods, out howling at the moon on the moors, so to speak, or just like routinely sleeping in your bed as a rat (laughs) for several years. But we don't have to talk about that. Um, But I really like that. That's just kind of how it's framed as like if you want to talk about care of magical creatures like this is pretty much just some kids and some half animals for <laughs> for the whole duration um, can we talk about I, uh I our, our dude lupin who by the way favorite character in the movie hard not to love hard, hard not, not to, to love. love i love him he's, he's so great and they cast him perfectly david thulis who is he's yeah I, he's I, amazing. I, well i mean when i saw this movie i was a kid the first time and i've since seen him in like a million things um and like he's in Mike Lee's naked he's in uh what he's I mean he's in Fargo he's in a ton of stuff he's very creepy in Fargo for sure yeah extreme it, my teeth hurt right now <laughs> yeah he also point. took a, a nice uh <laughs> he definitely did it and he's not above doing a piece of shit movie like Wonder Woman <laughs> or a oh, piece of shit yeah. role like yeah. Wonder Woman 
literally the god of <laughs> yeah i mean at least stupid role yeah. in wonder woman and you know i think that the other his counterpart in this really like is gary oldman i guess kind of disappears into this role not a big gary oldman guy for obvious reasons but for for this role i feel like really just as he does often is is very believable it's just being serious black and kind of controlling how to still up until the last possible moment be the creepy deranged killer and yeah. until the literal moment that he becomes most beloved godfather <laughs> you know like yeah. just really switches you on a dime there are yeah, those like, obvious oh, yeah, reasons for you. making darkest hour which is one of the most <laughs> boring movies i've ever seen <laughs> yeah exactly well, i mean i will definitely say yeah the gary oldman performance uh did not age well for me i just i remember it being such a more impactful thing the last couple of times i'd watch it and this time i was like oh yeah that's that's gary oldman doing doing a, a bit of a excited gary oldman and then all of a sudden he's like so nice and yeah and i was like out of out of the gary oldman performance and then also the constant amount of times ron just goes oh when did she get here <laughs> yeah like, we get it like she's time traveling like, oh, yeah i know like you could have had one of those but i didn't realize that like in every single classroom he was he did that to get to the meat of where this really ramps up into a double climax so to speak i think that the uh the really exciting part for me and my favorite part just to talk about where gary Ullman, you know does a good job flipping on a dime but you know most memorable part of this movie maybe not i think that the part that is most creepy on a human level and not just a werewolf coming out or a dementor or something like that is when especially as a kid you know but even now seeing the switch that david Lewis has as lupin when he starts to get manic and giddy with serious about killing him not of course him being very explicably the rat in the room that they should probably have just you know not buried the lead on that one so we can have yeah a little you know i think it's more of like a writing thing where they're like okay we have to keep the we have to keep the twist as long under wraps as long as possible so gary you just have to act like a complete insane person but i think it i only forgive it just because that change in like the most pure trustworthy person that we've seen probably in the series so far in the father figure of lupin like him becoming this equally manic killer is like oh boy you know like that suspended like two and a half minutes when you're just not sure where he's at before we find out that there is actually a rat that is the rat of the group um in in uh it, you know, in, as, in terms of who their actual murder target is, like, that's a really fun interplay that that gives Lupin a little bit more life for a second there before he calms down, walks away and turns into a werewolf mere minutes later. But, uh, you know, his best human performance in terms of amping up the suspense. Yeah. I mean, he should have taken his post. Should have. Honestly, yeah, we're, we're not going to we're not going to dive into <laughs> what could have, what have, should have. But yeah, I do really like that scene between you know the transformation scene where you're getting Sirius Black telling uh, um, what's the name Lupin or Lupin. Lupus? It's it's a, it's a coy it's yeah, yeah, yeah. a little bit of Lupus. It's, it's, it's a coy yeah <laughs> to the Latin. I mean, it's like every yeah. character is yeah. like named after yeah. any like their description. <laughs> it's they're, they're surprised there isn't like but, a you know Jane Witch or something like like <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe in the in the expanded universe. I'm sh- there has to be a fantastic beast named that. But um, this the scene where he's telling him, you know, in your heart, you're a man, you know who you are. And he's he's trying to yell at him not to transform. And I feel like that's not something we see that often in werewolf films. The transformation happens somewhere separately or it happens I don't, like multiple people are transforming together types of things. But you don't usually get a huge or another character who knows they're a werewolf trying to tell them you know when you become a werewolf you know who you really are don't kill all of us please well for good reason because in this one he immediately doesn't <laughs> listen to him and turns yeah. into a violent He's werewolf an, it's an intro- but yeah i do i mean i'm not sure that. who taught Sirius black that <laughs> method but uh, he clearly never tried it before and it never worked yeah it brings up yeah the the werewolf design is very interesting and i know some people have critiqued it because it's very 
unique and I would say is that it's like very thin. It doesn't really like you wouldn't confuse it with a regular wolf. It looks like a it's creepy. It looks like a balding. Yeah. <laughs> the Lupin character is essentially like a junkie slash like AIDS patient. And his like character is sort of meant to be like a, you know, like outcast, pre- like uh homosexual like equivalent for the wizarding world it's like you know someone being prejudiced against so i guess it makes sense that the, his werewolf form would also be deficient because like he he's like a they play him i mean his character is like poor and stuff and probably doesn't eat very well so i guess his, his werewolf form would be decrepit as well he, he just needs a couple uh you know weasley legs and he's just gonna be <laughs> tip top you know but yeah i feel like that's you know really where this takes a departure into, okay, we, we've got this set up with the murderer. The murderer finally tracks us down. And, you know, we all come to a head. And Alan Rickman gets to have his nice little butter that he gets to come in and have a fun moment be- being snarly. But I think that this revelation that Sirius and his long-term friend from from high school (laughs) do we say high school for Hogwarts I don't know but uh from Hogwarts is you know in on it because they figured out that he did not betray their family back Harry's family back in the day it was Peter Pettigrew who is disguised as a rat and we're gonna take him down um but all of that is thwarted by him turning into a werewolf at the just the right time and uh you know we precipitate from there This whole movie is basically just a prolonged sense of dread and a stacking of the cards against Harry about his fears, about what's coming for him, about kind of just this vague depression based off of who he is and what his past is and there being hopelessness in the future. And now it really turns into a different kind of movie. It still has a lot of those elements and a lot of the fear stays the same, but a lot of the mystery and kind of lurking in the shadows Uh, pace of this movie explodes in a way that like chris was saying really serves it for the second half in terms of it being a rapid rapid fire first series of events where things go poorly and then a rapid rapid fire time travel event where we retread those steps almost faster where things go a little bit better let's say so i feel like that's you know it, it just to do a loose summary it really comes down to them saving old Buckbeak <laughs> at the beginning, which was a was a tease that they only cut up the pumpkin, which Sam from episode one would definitely not be down with. That was my first thought. Um, going to the Shrieking Shack and having a confrontation there, finding out about Peter Pettigrew, and then the werewolves fighting and the Dementors coming for their kiss that someone saves Harry and Sirius from. So I think that that is a great series of events that could have been stretched out into several different scenes but really they just flow into one another like there's a real sense of place there's a real sense of space we're like just connecting that plot of land where we start to the shrieking shack to the woods it's just a seamless flow and it feels like you are following them in their footsteps which makes it much easier to then understand how you're setting up space and time when you do a time travel device, because that's the hardest thing to do in a Back to the Future or something like that, where you don't have an understanding of what space is. You don't have an understanding of like, how are they getting around this high school? Like, oh, okay, I'll just buy it. Like, it keeps the tension alive because you know exactly how they're going to retread because those wide canvases that he paints and the sense of pacing of moving moving it right along so that you can kind of like draw that map for yourself to use the marauders pun yeah and and you know the you know the tension and the dread and you know what the outcome could be if they don't achieve this the stakes are high and i the stakes are very high i always love a you know like jamie said all of this kind of follows itself down to them being the masters of their own universe you know like at the beginning they are the ones that save buckbeak when they felt helpless at the beginning so it's going from feeling helpless against that injustice to being the justice then it is a feeling of oh my gosh we're going to get killed by this werewolf there's a horrible otherworldly force that i can't control they are the ones to call the werewolf away to save themselves and then finally you know 
I needed the ghost of my father to come back and cast this Patronus and save me. But because I was just enveloped in my fear, but it was really me all along saving myself, which is always, always a time travel thing that I love when it's, it was me back in time <laughs> and they saved me. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for it. Um, and I think that really goes with what Jamie was saying of this being a tight little teen movie about like kind of Harry being a final girl, so to speak, of just I am conquering these fears. I've seen what these fears can do. I know the stakes and I'm just going to roll with it and pretty seamlessly kind of save the day for myself, you know, and, and just have that little bolster of confidence that can get me there without seeming, you know, too much pride is bad in the horror world. <laughs> too much doubt is bad in the horror world really strikes that balance of, of being able to conquer what you need in order to survive. I mean, I, I just like, it's, it is nice to see a, director who is making some bold choices with a big franchise like this that you get a couple of these scenes that just really stick in your mind the scene uh, uh, right as the transformation is about to happen but before that as we push out to the moon and you get that reveal of the moon in the clouds is it's such a that's such a great halloween moment i love seeing a full moon in a halloween movie and it's done so well it goes to there then to his eyes and back out and it's it's just one of those things you can't always pull off without a huge budget and a crane and, and some other types of shot CG work on the moon and the clouds, but in the eyes, but it's just, it's nice to see someone pull off a shot. That's almost a bit cliched, but it's just done so well that you're, you're scared, but you're almost giddy. Cause you know, the language of a Halloween movie when you see that shot and you're just, you're ready for it. And then it, it sets up the, the difference in the werewolf like you're talking about jamie he's you know thinner ganglier and and it's it's uncomfortable you're not looking at a werewolf that's you know dog soldiered up and and got big muscles and ready to roll this this is this is not a comfortable way to transform or live for a day or a night or however long it lasts i haven't read the books in so long i don't remember <laughs> what the rules are and I never finished them either, but maybe now I'll go back. This kind of made me excited to go back. Yeah, and read maybe the book, give them so. a read. I, think I, a lot of people I did actually. I, I admit I did read the book before our, this podcast. I sort of. It's that it's short. Pretty. I mean, it is a pretty <laughs> short book. Um, it's more like I, I read when I fall out of like my habit of reading. I always pick up a book I've read before that's very easy to like, kind of like grease the wheels a little bit. And at the top of this year in January, I just. I got Agatha Christie. One. I know we were, we had kind of discussed doing this once. So I was like, oh, I'll probably, why don't I just read this? And, you know, the third book is it's a quick read. Um, so, yeah, I think another stray part about the ending, just in terms of fun things that I noticed on this watch, just kind of doing a reanalysis of like what the actual core themes of this are as a standalone. I think one of the things that is consistent across all of the Harry Potter movies is they really have a deep breath let's take inventory of what we learned this year at the end of every movie. And this one doesn't have that sense of like, let's all go back to the, to the train, you know, like, and, and talk about, we learned that Voldemort is spiteful because he doesn't have friends and we have friends, you know, like that's something that sometimes comes across heavy handed, yeah. but like they get away with it because they proved it or something like that. And I think, um, for example, diving into, why we have friends and Voldemort doesn't have friends. And we learned how valuable that was because friendship is everything. And that's how we're going to win and scene because that's the, tr what the trials have kind of taught us. And going back to this sense of this, just being about fear and just being about depression, you know, in a, in a real way, I like that this one gets a lot of shit for its freeze frame ending, <laughs> but it really ends in a, in a way very different from the rest of the movies. It doesn't tease how this is going to progress next doesn't say like, hey, you know, we got the invite to the the Triwizard Tournament, you know, or it doesn't show scabbers going off into the distance. It just shows Harry getting a new broomstick and flying and just being super jazzed about it. And that just being yeah. like this nice tail end moment to like, he just got to have this dark cloud go away and he got a new broomstick and he's happy about it. And like, that's for me, as this is a horror movie, I think if there were going to be a Harry Potter answer to any horror movie, it's just 
being carefree Mm -hmm. you know like the whole point of your protagonist in a horror movie is how you conquer the things that are you know basically a bodily concern that's going to kill you you know like that ever-present danger and it kind of ends in a way that caps it up nicely of like I figured it out. It's all fine. You know, we're good. You know, horror movie over. I'm just happy again. So yeah. I liked that on this watch. It doesn't seem as, as camp or goofy. It's definitely it seems, it seems will, a little more. I will earned. say at the at the end there, uh, I was wondering then, wait, how many other werewolves are there out there that don't have the wolf's bane <laughs> potion or whatever it was like we this this is an unanswered question for me. And I'm wondering just like, are there a lot of them? Because that's a whole nother film series in its there, own. I mean, it's... Uh, the, the thing is that... Twilight Saga yeah, new moon? No, it's... Well, I'll, I'll, I'll answer two points. <laughs> Don't forget about Fenrir Greyback, yeah. who comes well, in. Well, no, I'll say... First of all, it's very dangerous to ask... Is that in the books? I haven't read the books. We're doing a movie. It's podcast. very dangerous. There, he's in the movies. It's, he's in the movies. He, he bites. Uh, he bites lavender. Brown. Don't worry about it. Don't. Worry. A lot it's of very dangerous happens. to ask J.K. Rowling about answers to some of these, like you said, unanswerable questions. Because you're gonna get. Because will come out you, against trans Yeah, people you, or you will get yeah. something very like you'll be like shocked by what you'll hear, and you'll be like, "That is yeah. too much information. That is completely not supported by what you wrote." And it's also just like illogical. So it's best not to ponder. Yeah. And now there and now there's a video game being made that actively has to say something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I'm into. I'm into. Um, but I'll but to it. Cody's point, I would say that I agree that I think in a lot of ways what this film sacrifices in plot, I think makes up for for those those sort of moments of characterization, particularly at the end where it is dialing in on having this these moments, these like smaller, more intimate moments, like I mean, some of my favorites, like my favorite scenes are the scenes with Sirius Black when he's not a raving lunatic and when him and Harry talk and they talk about what it is to miss your parents and like how much I miss them and how that that emotional sort of like catharsis for Harry and for Sirius always kind of struck me. And then, of course, the Lupin kind of sadly having to leave the office and leave the school, resigning in disgrace for being a werewolf, which is very poignant. You know, those scenes kind of hit me to wrap up. My suggested viewing for this um, would be with a mixed bag of people, of people who like Harry Potter and people who are new to the franchise, because that energy always feeds off itself well. You know, so if you can ever get into a space where you really, you know, are watching these as a series altogether, that's always fun. But for the purposes of this podcast, I think if you have somebody that would feel fine watching Harry Potter movies. Say, say they've seen some of some of them. They will be able to figure this one out without watching the others, even though that's sacrilegious. I mean, who hasn't watched them? I don't know. You know, some people are some people haven't seen Star Wars, but I, I'd say more so. You know, to put it in the camp of people who watch them religiously versus somebody who probably watched it years ago. I think it's fun to see what the differences of what people point out. Um, Cause that's something I recently did watching these, watching these films all together, but you know, probably will keep you on your toes. And this is one where you can get away with that without having to have them nudge you and say, who's that again for most of the entire movie. Yeah. And what I will say about preferred watching situation is that it's pretty hard to find these on streaming. Sometimes they go on and off and I currently have them on Blu-ray. So physical media win right there. <laughs> yeah. I'm they sure Jamie, I'm sure Jamie paid. I, I paid $4 to, to it. run it off YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, Don't you feel I, poor now? I I only paid like 120 bucks for my box set. <laughs> yeah, I bought I bought it on Blu-ray for my box set when it was like $20. There was a 1 in 20 chance if I had just thrown on AMC or like Sci-Fi Channel it would have been playing, but I decided to just right. run it on my own time. Yeah. Yeah, I know this I know this better with its commercial breaks than I do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's theatrical. I, I will say it was very enjoyable just to sit on the couch and watch it with my partner and we'd both seen them a bunch of times we'd seen um you know a mixture of of watching them all together or just jumping in and out and this was definitely a fun one just to throw on on a weeknight and eat dinner and watch it and we were both engaged and and had a lot of fun with it but you know we didn't come out of it too hyped up or too like terrified it it was just it was a fun weeknight movie I, i don't know if i'd invite a ton of people over to watch it on a Friday night. I might want something with a little more pizzazz going on. And I don't know if I'd want 
like super super diehard Harry Potter fans telling me everything that was different with the books. If if I was going to do that, I'd watch all of them. But uh, it was it was definitely just a fun at home weeknight movie. Yeah, and I think that's the emphasis I'd put. Is like a lot of the times you watch the other ones and you feel like, ugh, okay, this is like Empire Strikes Back. I gotta watch Return of the Jedi. You know, I gotta keep going. This one you can watch and be like, that was a movie, and I know the other ones, but I'm not like itching to watch all of them now. But that's coming from me because I'm sure my wife will be like. Do you want to watch Goblin Fire now? But yeah, does? brew yourself, uh, yeah, brew yourself some pumpkin ale, and uh, you know, sit down and watch Harry Potter, Prisoner of Azkaban. Little uh, whatever your recipe is for uh, for butter beer. Yeah, yeah. This wouldn't pull me into a theater screening if they, you know, had a revival of all of them in the theaters. I would. Oh, yeah, this is that syndicated. I'm going for sure. Absolutely. I went. You I are? did that a couple of years ago. Nice. <laughs> it's a fun time. It's a fun time. The beats. Hit. You guys are. You guys are bigger expecto patronuses than me yes well i'll 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 finish off by say our hogwarts houses (laughs) yeah how do we know should i google it (laughs) you can say undecided but i'm gonna have to do this official sorting hat after this and then maybe jamie and i will guess what you are i have a story about why yeah you say i'll do the i'll do the quiz right now and you guys no it it takes like 10 minutes yeah yeah yeah, uh yeah we'll we'll come back next episode and that'll be a gag how about that (laughs) confirmed Ravenclaw another fellow Ravenclaw and I'm currently trying to figure out how to sign up for Pottermore and do this sorting test thing I don't know if you're gonna you're gonna make it in the club here Chris you know we're, we're gonna have to tease this one out for the listeners but you might be more of a Hufflepuff who knows you know I don't, I don't know what your vibe is but uh, let us know yeah, the you, choices. You got you guys. Let me know. Next episode, I'll uh, have gone through this whole <laughs> test and probably read all. The I books. Yeah. All I know is my my official Patronus is a pheasant, and I I'm still upset about it because you can't retake that quiz. Yeah, I'm, mine's but, like a boar or something. <laughs> <laughs> Very much our. Vibe, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what that says about me. Um, but I guess you know to wrap up this pod, mischief managed. <laughs> that's my sound effect. That's my wand sound effect. Well, do we do we want to leave them with a clue? Oh yeah, yeah, Jamie. What's coming up uh, tomorrow? Tomorrow we are going down the rabbit hole. That's all I'm going to say about that. Interesting, Neo. <laughs> Matrix Reloaded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're going to explain how that's. I mean, there's ghosts in it, so and werewolves. Yeah. Hey, vampires, baby. Yeah. Hey, never yeah, mind. We're it. Doing Actually, it. it is Matrix Reloaded. Surprise. <laughs> We're going Just way outside the box with this. No, um, no. Anything to get Monica Bellucci on this playlist. Yeah, yeah. We'll She's catch you. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we'll catch you tomorrow. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. Day four. I'm excited. 